0: Welcome to the latest episode of The Grower and the Economist. I'm Michelle Klieger, The Economist.
1: And I'm Peter Kondjayan, The Grower.
0: Each week, we team up to tackle the biggest challenges facing small and medium-sized growers. We're one part grower and one part economist, just like your business.
2: Hi, welcome back to The Grower and the Economist. I'm Natalie, and today we'll be discussing bees and their impact on agriculture and effects on small farms. Today, we've invited Sophie, president of the Beekeepers Association at my high school to provide her unique experience and along with insight on improving public opinion on bees. Hi, my name's is Sophie Gregoretti. I'm a rising senior at Lexington High School. I actually became interested in
3: bees during my freshman year when I joined the Bee Club as a way to kill time on Thursday afternoons between school ending at 2.30 and an activity at 3.30. I'd heard the phrase, save the bees all the time, but I didn't know what that meant, so I decided to join the club. And by my sophomore year, I became president.
1: So tell me what's involved with the club. Do you have, is there any academic component to it where you're you're learning, reading, um, etc.? Or is it more activities?
3: Um, definitely more activities. Because, I, I mean, at school, we're all so stressed. We don't really have time for extra work. So the majority of the work that we do is, you know, volunteering. Um, and basically, what I do is I work with the Lexington bee Company um and the master beekeeper, her name's Alex Barch, and I kind of work with her, so she's the one who maintains over twenty public apiaries around town um and there's a bunch that are outside of lexington um so I work with her to like hear what she needs both for her company and just for her own you know work as a beekeeper, and I connect like the members of our club to those opportunities so they can, you know, learn about bees and beekeeping. Um, and, you know, also just lend a hand. Um, so we meet every week. And we just, we kind of talk about what, um, what do you call it? Like activities, I guess, are coming up, what events are coming up. Um, and like how many people, how many people we're going to need for that, Um, and we also help with like workshops that we have at the library. Um, so as I was saying, Alex, the, um, person who runs the Lexington Bee Company, um, the town library has a really good relationship with her and she has a lot of workshops where she teaches people how to make candles and how to make like bar soaps and stuff all from like bee products like beeswax and actual honey. Um, so she usually needs um, some volunteers to help her out. Um, so I also help with that. And, and if you
1: were describing the the objectives, the things that you're trying to convey to the public, is it more um, how you use the bee products? Is it more about them being pollinators in everyday life? or is it focused on agriculture or all of the above?
3: Um, probably all of the above. I mean, I think the the first thing that we're worried about when we have new members is just explaining that bees are good. And, well, not only that they're good, but how they're good. So, like, the first thing that we do, in September we recruit members, in October is when we have our first meetings, our I mean, the first meeting is just to show everyone where the room is, where we meet every week. But the second meeting, we um, go on an excursion. And there's probably the closest apiary to our school. It's like a 10-minute walk of the school. Um, So we all go after school together, um, probably like 30, 40 of us. And I show them the hive. We give them all, like, protective gear. Um, and we show them what a hive looks like and how they won't get stung by going close to it. And then we also show them the fact that it's right next to, a, like, a pretty big garden um, that usually they just donate the extra harvest um, or extra produce to, like, food banks. Um, and since Alex installed um, these ap- this apiary, um, their produce has tripled. So it's like a good tangible way to show um, students like how helpful it is um, to have bees. And then from there, we can show them how they can actually help by, you know, helping keep hives and like planting pollinator-friendly flowers and herbs and stuff. That
1: sounds very educational. It must be very early on when you get new recruits that you're separating out and explaining differences between perhaps hornets and wasps and honeybees how does that all work
3: um well the thing is if you're right i mean at least at our school we have a big wasp problem um in the like in the beginning of the beginning of the school year in the fall and at the end in the spring summer um there's tons of wasps outside and we tend to eat outside so the first thing everybody does when they're trying to eat like peacefully eating their lunch with their friends is they see a bunch of little yellow and black bugs. They scream that it's bees and then they run away. So (laughs) the thing is there's so few bees now you're probably not looking at a bee and it's just trying to correct everybody every single time that it's not bees so that when they hear save the bees, they don't immediately think, wait, no, they're the ones who tried to sting me when I was trying to eat my lunch. So (laughs) it sounds silly, but it's really important um, to just, educate people on like what you know they look like and also as I was saying the extortion that we go on you can obviously see the difference between bees and
2: wasps and whatnot so when you see bees now are you not scared of them or because you've had so much like close contact with them
3: oh I'm not scared at all (laughs) I have
2: for some reason we have a ton of bees
3: near my house it sounds bad but it's actually because one of the apiaries is down by street and we happen to have a lot of um nice native plants and i see these bees all the time and i'm not they're always outside when i'm outside and it's fine i've never gotten stung they won't sting you unless they're near their hive so you don't need to be scared it's like little tips like that that everybody just needs to hear um you know to not be scared And it does feel like conflicting messages, right?
0: Like there is such a promotion of save the bees, but there's also, you know, people that are highly allergic to bees. So I think that that opportunity to like have both of those conversations together is probably really helpful for both causes.
3: Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first thing that we do is like when, as I was saying, the excursion that we go on is we ask if anybody's allergic to bees. And there's usually three or four people. And, you know, we can honestly, they can come. We've never had any issues. And we've been doing this for multiple years, like before I even joined the club. Um, we've never had an issue. I mean, we tell them to stay further back from the hive and they have extra productive gear they can wear. But it, like, even they're totally fine with it, um, which is, it's nice that I can do that.
1: Do you ever have parents that freak
3: out over that? Um, no, probably because I don't know. But <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I think the kids are old enough to make their own decisions. Hopefully, <laughs> one of the things um, that you said was that
0: by plant by having the bees that the garden tripled production. That's that's total. That's incredible. Um, I'm guessing that Peter has done few things that have had such amazing results yeah
1: that's correct
0: it sort of shows that that there's a real one just you know how natural growing things is and how many parts of production there are um, in those systems but it makes me personally feel a lot better about all the flowers i've been planting around my garden and that these are systems that grow together so i think that that's a great message and I don't know. I feel like there's like a research opportunity there to really quantify
3: the benefit of pollinators. For sure. Yeah, you're definitely right. I I mean, I don't know about any um, experiments or research projects that are currently running, but I'm sure there's somebody who's done it or is currently doing it.
1: <laughs> so has any of your, um, the education you guys receive focus on uh, the national condition that that uh, bee populations are under, with the sudden hive collapse and the decrease in in the number of bees around the country.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, well, I mean, this has kind of been the, an issue that's been happening, you know, for decades. But um, one of the things that we've done actually with the town of Lexington is we helped Alex um, create. Lexington as a B city. So we wrote a bill, and we it hasn't been officially introduced because COVID kind of ruined our scheduling. But um, we were supposed to make Lexington a B city by writing this bill. That it, but basically, there's a bunch of requirements that Lexington has to fulfill, like you know, not using certain um, pesticides and hosting um, events that. Um, advocate for the, you know, necessity of bees. Um, So that's kind of what we've done to try to combat this hive collapse that you're talking about. And I mean, everybody should be talking about, Um, but yeah, that's what we've been doing. Well, and I've seen, I think that this is one of those where there's
0: probably a lot of factors and, you know, there's definitely a lot of pesticides being used. There's also a lot of you know, r- less habitat available. So how much is that, you know, just making it difficult for bees to survive, period. Um, and then the varroa mite does get a lot of attention in this and that they live on the bee and potentially harm it. So I, I think that, you know, as we start to think about where our food came from and some of these threats like lack of pollinators, there are a lot of Pieces uh, that need to be explored and being able to to have them complement each other and not necessarily everybody pointing fingers at someone else.
1: There are some uh, large greenhouse vegetable operations that maintain beehives within the greenhouse. Have you come across that, Michelle?
3: I haven't.
1: I I don't know know of the operations by name, but I've I've come across that. I want to say in the last six months or so in some of my reading, and it all makes sense, um, particularly with uh, something like tomato. That you know, it when we normally grow tomatoes in a greenhouse, because there are not pollinators in there, uh, we pollinate physically by by vibrating the flowers. And I think they've um, they've made a lot of progress in maintaining some bees within the greenhouse uh, to eliminate that labor.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a a lot of labor and one of those places where it's a very skilled
1: labor. Correct. And Sophie, earlier you were talking about how we educate people that when they see a bee, they just say the word bee and they lump everything together. And it brought to mind how we also think of bats and snakes that way in that we, we just have this immediate response that they're bad until we're educated and understand how good they are for the ecosystem.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So what's one lesson that that you, besides being
0: able to tell the difference between the bees and the wasps, were there any other messages that, that you, um, you know, feel like this is a good opportunity to teach the kids or
3: are there things that they ask that you're surprised about? I think. I mean, if there's one thing I could tell everybody, it's probably just the, stop mowing your lawn so much. It sounds so silly, but it's really simple. Leave the dandelions there. Um, pro- plant more native flowers. They're pretty, too. So um, it it's not you don't necessarily have to get into a hive to make a difference. It's really simple. You just let, um, you know, let the natural plants grow. And you'll be making a difference on your own. Like I was saying before, the flowers that I have near my house that just happen to be here, nobody actually planted them. I see bees around them all the time, and I know they're helping because the, I know the hive that they're coming from. It's down the street. It's about a mile away from my house. So, like, I know that it's actually helping because I can see it for myself. So, um, I know other people can definitely do that too. I went to a. Um, Uh, like a farmer's
0: market day last spring and um, they actually had the, they were showing the kids how to make um, hives for solitary bees, which I had never seen before where they, you'd like take a toilet paper roll and make circles inside. And some of the bees that are not colonies like to live in them. So I kind of thought that was a neat school age project as well.
3: Yeah, it's cool. I've never Heard of that before, but that's probably something I could try with um, the kids in my club. But yeah, Sophie,
1: your your point about uh, naturalizing the landscape is close close to my heart. Uh, Michelle, I think I've shared with you that over the years, the area of my lawn keeps getting smaller as I expand my foundation plantings and and plantings around the peri- perimeter of my acre property. And I'm looking to do much of what Sophie's describing. My reason is, however, different. And if we layer everything together, we can kind of see where we're heading in the future. Um, A lot of my research in the past decade has been on water treatment and agricultural irrigation systems. And it's occurred to me that well-manicured lawns are not going to be sustainable in the future. And if we can convert our lawns from the manicured turf to more nature and natural plantings, much like Sophie's describing, not only is it better for water conservation, but it's also better for maintaining the bee populations. And uh, I think it all addresses the um, the regenerative concept that we visit in agriculture and the sustainable um practices that we talk about, both in commercial and residential settings.
0: So, Natalie, I was wondering, now that you planted some vegetables this summer, did you plant flowers as well, or is that something that you might consider for next
2: season? Um, no, we didn't really do a lot of planting. I think we're going to have to revamp the whole farm next year, or because this year basically just ended up being all pumpkins. But... I think I could really use some advice from Peter or Sophie because our lawn is pretty terrible right now. It's like completely overgrown by crabgrass. And maybe you guys have some thoughts on whether that's really a bad thing. Like, If a well-manicured lawn is actually the worst possible scenario. Honestly, the all
3: I really know is I'm kind of just thinking about it in the native flowers perspective. So like I was mentioning the um, B-City requirements and one of those requirements is there's a lot of big fields like especially between Concord and Lexington um, there's a lot of big fields that for some reason the town is really worried about um, mowing down every couple weeks I guess but it's not like anybody lives there it's just a like you can't walk through it either. So there's a lot of flowers that grow there that we can see out. like Alex she's I don't know, she knows a lot about her bees and she can recognize when they're hers. So um she's seen a lot of her own bees at those fields that are so far from the apiaries. So the fact that they already have to go that far from home to find the flowers that they're looking for. So something that she does a lot of is um she tries to get members of our club to plant flower bulbs in front of their house. So you just plant them um, kind of before the, the soil hardens around your house um, in the winter. So you would plant them kind of in the fall. And then in the spring, they bloom and they're beautiful. And they're really great for the um, for the bees and all pollinators. So that's sort of all I know about it. I don't really know a ton about grass. But <laughs> maybe Peter can answer that.
1: Well, Philby, when you mentioned the bulbs and you're correct in planting in the fall, uh selecting the right bulbs that are um hardy in the area means you only plant one fall and then they're perennial after that. And and the only um maintenance is after three, four, or five years, they become so thick that you would want to dig them up and thin them out, spread spread them out to other areas. So, things like tulips and crocus and daffodils are very hardy in New England, and you really only have to plant them that one fall and then they'll they'll come back year after year, so those are always good and um the description of some of these meadows um Natalie, you just mentioned right
3: uh, yes yeah the
1: the public areas um I think we we would all like to let them naturalize themselves and you know if it's this time of year and goldenrod that is uh servicing the bees or asters are going to be wild asters will flower in the next month or so and the the bees love the aster flower Um, the only comment i'll make there is uh, nature wants to take over an open idle space and if we're not careful if we let nature completely take over it will eventually turn from meadow and openness to a wooded area because the tree seeds will will find their way in via birds and wind. So eventually, if, if we want to maintain open spaces and meadow, um, there is some maintenance required so that we fight back some of the wooded areas. Sophie,
0: you mentioned your club. Do you think that that is something that that could be replicated in other places? Like other schools or just general public clubs? Yeah, potentially in schools. I think that one of the really good values is that you've explained to young children, you know, how pollinators work and how to identify a bee and Possibly not to be terrified of them. Um, so I was just—we have talked in the past about how to increase education among children. So is there—is that something that you could see other schools doing, um, or is there something really special about the way Alex runs
3: the program? I mean, I'm the one who runs the club at my school. Oh, so, sorry, if, if I can—no, that's fine. I just. I usually work with her um, to see what opportunities I can get these kids involved in just as volunteer experiences. Um, But there's beekeepers, like master beekeepers everywhere. So it's just a matter of somebody, you know, finding out that they kind of care about bees and then finding somebody that they can talk to. It's really not that hard. It doesn't really take a lot of my time to find these opportunities. So I think anybody who can do it who's interested can do it.
1: That's a great point about schools, Michelle. I was about to ask Sophie if she and her club ever have uh, booths at farmers markets to educate consumers.
3: Yeah, we do. Um, It's not really about educating. In our case, it's not really about educating. It's more about selling products. Like I mentioned, the Lexington Bee Company, Um, we sell Alex's products at the local farmers market every week. Um, in the, you know, in the summer and in the fall. So by, you know, explaining where the products come from, we kind of tell people where the apiaries are, how local it is, how it's helpful to the consumer, but also helpful, um, to the environment. I love
1: that. Sophie, if, have you ever, so, so it's a, it's a fundraiser of sorts for the club to help sustain it. That's excellent. Um. Have you ever considered, or might you already be doing this, where let's say in the farmer's market in the spring, your club might offer some um, young plants of pollinator species um, to sell the young plants for people to buy and take and plant in their gardens? Do you do
3: that? Well, it's great that you mentioned that. I'm actually working on that with one of my friends, the same friend who I was working on that little garden bed with. Um, we were just talking about buying a bunch like in bulk a bunch of um flower bulbs, and we would kind of sell it as a fundraiser um you know making maybe like little gift bags with um five or six flower bulbs um so we'd raise money to support Alex and everything she's doing for the public apiaries um while also you know increasing um pollinator friendly plants that
1: you mentioned earlier. Uh, Wilson Farms in your area, and and uh, they do have an excellent reputation around eastern Massachusetts. Um, their greenhouse um, facility would might either be in a position where they're growing and selling wholesale young plants in the spring. There are a number of annual plants, bedding plants, we call them, that would be planted every summer uh that would be uh, good good pollinator plants and and host uh to bees uh and if they're not the ones that that would grow and offer them to a club like yours, they would know wholesale greenhouse operators in the area that uh I'm sure would work with you folks as a club and then, as michelle's suggesting, if we can then uh multiply this out to high, other high schools or middle schools in the in the area, how cool would all that be? And you guys, if you had some type of an association that ties you all together as different high schools, you'd have some nice buying power uh, to go to some wholesale greenhouse in the spring and get a, uh, you know, a pickup load of plants and send them out to each of you at your farmers markets, and that that would be an excellent fundraiser as well.
3: Yeah, that's a really great idea. Thank you,
0: Paul. Go talk to my friends. You didn't know that by being invited on this podcast that we were going to leave you with a lot of homework (laughs) and to scale your entire business. (laughs) Thank you. I don't know. Natalie, are there any final thoughts you have? Or Sophie, anything else you want to share? It's been a fascinating discussion so far.
2: Well, I agree on your comment about the homework that Sophie has to do because (laughs) it seems like this could be a really good idea, but there's definitely going to be some issues especially with younger kids where like parents are definitely not as comfortable if they are knowledgeable about a kid running around seeing some bees or something but I think this is really promising in general for like education on bees and farming.
1: Sophie if if you and your club are interested in a pumpkin sale this fall um, I suggest going to Natalie's backyard and 100%
2: 100% yeah
3: oh, i visit you all <laughs> um, yeah well thank you so much for having me um, it's been really great getting to talk about bees because not a lot of people want to listen <laughs> uh, and do you does the
0: club or the farmer's market stand any of those have links that we can include and promote with the
3: podcast yeah I can send you the <laughs> link um, to the com, You can see what Alex is up to and all the great products she's selling.
1: Michelle, Alex might be a good guest to have on sometime.
3: Yes, I agree. Especially if we get to dig into that huge
0: increase in profitability.
1: <laughs> yes. And not to take any more of the uh, our young ladies' time, Sophie, it's a pleasure meeting you. Natalie, you know that I always enjoy having you on the recordings with us. Um, and thank you both. I. I wish you both luck in your um, college applications and uh, dream big and aim high, okay?
3: Thank you so much again. <laughs>
1: Bye. Bye, guys.
3: Have a good
0: afternoon, everyone. You too. Bye.